Hi, I'm Charlotte de Courcy Bailey. Welcome to Mindset for Health, Tales of Extraordinary People. This is a podcast about the power of a human decision and the incredible ability of the mind to guide you on your journey through life, equipped with the skills to tackle adversity and to overcome setbacks. We are real stories with a little bit of science. Hi, my name is Charlotte de Courcy Bailey and I'm your host. Welcome to Mindset for Health, Tales of Extraordinary People. My guest today is Joanna Gray. Hi, Joanna. Hi, how are you? Well, thank you. Joanna is a business coach and I first met her approximately 15 years ago when our coaching paths crossed in the field of dental coaching, dental business coaching. She's a business coach and strategist, and she immediately impressed me with her skills, her ability to clearly think through situations and create long-range strategies for her clients, um, while also helping them to attain and maintain momentum in their businesses. Um, It wasn't until we'd known one another quite a few years that Joe and I had a conversation about um, a condition called Huntington's disease, which is a hereditary condition which affects members of her family and for which she has found out that she has the gene. So our conversation today is around Huntington's disease, but it's also around how do you learn to choose to continue to live your fullest life? How is it that we don't become victim to our circumstances and Joe just epitomizes that for me when we talk about this. So I hope you enjoy our podcast today. Hi, Joe. Um, just to help people get up to speed a little bit, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and where you've come from and where you are on the planet in the world of Zoom at the moment, what country you're coming from? <laughs> um, but also um, a little bit about Huntington's disease and how that impacts on people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Charlotte. I'm loving this. This is awesome. Um, When I, oh, look, I live in Brisbane, but I managed to escape Victoria four years ago. We wanted a lifestyle change and a climate change and so on. Um, So I'm feeling for the poor Victorians at the moment who are struggling so much under the weight of COVID. And I'm also actually really grateful and relieved that I'm up here in short sleeve top and, you know, we're talking about going to the beach and all of that sort of stuff. So for me, that's um, actually going to link back into what we're talking about, about living a full life in spite of things that can go wrong. Um, Originally, I trained with a law degree, but realised that being a lawyer wasn't for me. As I was finishing my uni degrees, or at least my first round of uni degrees, because then I went back and got a PhD, but that's not quite where we're going with this conversation either. But as I was finishing my first uni degree in 1996, we became aware in the family that my uncle had been really quite weirdly unwell for a while and none of us really knew exactly what the problem was. And we had in the whole family um, this sort of phrase that was kind of vague and we talked about him being like his dad but we never really thought through what that meant like you know genetics and so on so we noticed that my uncle was going like my grandfather um, but it only got real when my cousin my uncle's son um, took him to the doctor and actually got a diagnosis for Huntington's disease And Huntington's is something that doesn't really get discussed a lot. It's not something that a lot of people would necessarily know anything about. I certainly never expect people to know about it because it only affects a very small percentage of the population and it is considered um, genetic and hereditary. You either have the gene or you don't. Um, But what it does is it affects people's movement. So people start to move in ways almost like there's a puppeteer sort of jerking on their strings. It's sort of random jerky movements Um, and it starts to affect the cognitive functions as well. And it tends to to, um, uh, cause people over a fairly long period of time to start having these symptoms. 
So we got this diagnosis for my uncle in 1996. And at the time, every single member of my family who was genetically connected to my uncle, including his children and his siblings, one of whom's my mom, um, went and got a test. But at that time, I was like, no, I actually just can't. And I couldn't really articulate it for me. But for me, I actually at that point didn't want to know. Um, and consciously speaking, I could possibly give you rational reasons why, but realistically what I tend to do a lot is just tr trust my gut or my instinct or, or whatever you want to call it. For me at that point in time, that was not a piece of a puzzle that I really wanted. So in 1996, everybody but me got either a gene positive or a gene negative diagnosis. Um, and I just left it, um, had a marriage, marriage broke down. And after that marriage breakdown, uh, I was 30 at the time. So this was, um, what, about eight years after that original diagnosis. And for some reason, and again, I'm just going to say, trusted my gut, trusted my instinct. As I was rebuilding from that relationship breakdown, I realized that one of the things I wanted to know is, am I gene positive or not? Um, and just a tangent here again, um, when we talk about gene positive, the word positive makes it sound like it's good news, but what it actually means is that you've got the Huntington's gene and it's not actually good news. So anyway, we, um, we were talking about this um, as a family um, and nobody had ever put pressure on me to get a diagnosis. Everybody just respected one another's decisions at that point. Um, but, yeah, for whatever reason, when I was putting myself back together, um, I really needed this piece of the puzzle to know who I was and to be able to deal with it before going into what I hoped at that point would be a <laughs> better marriage um, with somebody more supportive and probably kids along the way there because I didn't have kids with my first husband. Um, so all of this sort of happened as a massive process of learning for me. When I went through uni, um, you know, I was a law student I was a debater I was all in my head I had always been very much in my head um, but what this diagnosis and, and marriage breakdown actually led to was a massive shift in me towards I guess personal development personal growth um, it wasn't a conscious decision again you know I didn't sit down and say okay you know I better personally grow myself now um, but there was this sort of a shift that led to me starting to really think about who I was as a person, who I wanted to be sort of long term. Um, there were all of these sort of questions that I was really for the first time in a position to explore and interested in exploring. Um, so uh, where that led to at that time was a lot of pulling myself apart and putting myself back together. And at that time, my, my thinking shifted when I was thinking about um, potentially getting married again. I stopped believing in the right person, as in who's the right guy for me, and started looking at how do I be the right person if, you know, I want to attract these different things in my relationship. So I did really spend a lot of energy focusing on what makes me the right person, even though I also have this um, diagnosis. What does that mean I need to be? Who am I? Um, and then very short time after that, um, met Tim, who is now my husband. And, um, you know, we've got two great kids and, Long-term career uh, in business coaching, as you've already said, Charlotte, moved to Brisbane where the lifestyle is excellent. Uh, and sort of if you were going to, um, you know, put together sort of 50 facts about me, that's kind of the quickest potted summary at the moment. Fantastic. Thank you, Joe. I'm just quickly writing down notes here because you've touched on so many amazing things that I'd like to take you back into. Um 
the first observation I made there or the first comment that I wrote down was um, about trusting your instinct. We'll come back to that, please. Um, but also about your family respecting your choices and your decisions um, and how those two things might be interlinked. Um, I love the observation, though, really, that the marriage breakdown was your setback, which then created the situation where you could set yourself up for success. It gave you that opportunity to go, hey, as you said, time to dive in, figure out what's not working and what changes do I want to make? And we've touched on that point a few times, listeners, about a setback um, is not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, it feels crappy at the time and it's not an enjoyable process, but so many times we've listened to our, our presenters here talking about how that really was the springboard for their success, which is just brilliant. Um, how I think that's where I'd like to start. That process of, of going into discovery, um, trusting your instinct, that must have been a rather frightening journey, I would imagine, to, to start to unravel what you had as, you know, potentially I was on the right path. I've got my law degree. I'm doing my PhD. I've done all these other things. I thought I was on a successful trajectory. My marriage has broken down. That's a complete change from what I anticipated. And now I have to sit and figure out what's going on and who do I want to be? How does somebody how do you think somebody can go into that journey without losing sight of themselves, keeping an eye on future and not getting lost in the past and a lot of judgment? You know, I, I was a bit surprised actually the way you phrased that because for me it didn't occur as frightening at all. It occurred as things were happening at exactly the time I needed them to happen. Um, and I think that's exactly why on whatever unconscious level it occurred, I didn't get tested earlier. There was some part of me that just knew that 1996, whatever age I was back then, was not the time for me to unravel and find this out. Um, and I, I don't know that I can articulate it from a conscious viewpoint but to me at the time it all felt like exactly the right things showed up at exactly the right time in order for me to be able to unravel and to put myself back together um, so there were just the right pieces in place the right time in my life I guess and that sounds really inspecific and vague if somebody is trying to map this out for themselves but I guess actually my invitation to anyone who might be thinking of it that way is to to ask yourself you've got to tune in with yourself um, I can't say to you don't get a, a Huntington's diagnosis until you're 30 because otherwise you know you won't cope um, but what I can suggest is to make sure that it, that things feel right, that they're showing up in a, in a position in your, your life that feels right. Um, and, you know, even when I look at the different ways that I started to examine myself and who I was, um, they were quite a gentle gradient. It wasn't a massive explosion. Um there were things that happened sort of one step at a time that every step I took, it felt like it was a perfectly natural, sensible step. Now, I was gutted that the marriage broke down at that point, um, but I had been able to put myself in a position where I went overseas for three months, um, you know, just changed a whole lot um, and did what I needed to do to... I don't know, sort myself out, get to the next step, whatever the right sort of um, phrasing is there. I'm fascinated that, as you said, as a lawyer and doing what you've chosen initially, you spent, and the debating and everything, you spent so much of your time in your head. And yet two or three times now you've mentioned listening to your gut. So often people don't have those capacities. They, they can stay locked in their head, unable to listen to instinct. How how have you bridged that, that gap? 
I would love to be able to give you a tangible answer. Um, <laughs> it showed up. Um, I, I feel like my whole evolution so far, and I'm only 47, so there's still a lot of evolution to go in my view, um, but my evolution so far has been tiny little things that have shown up exactly when I've needed them that have led me one step further out of my head, one step closer to trusting my gut more and more. Um, so things like one of the very first things that I did, actually, I was already um, seeing a particular chiropractor guy for migraines. Um, I'd been seeing him for ages when I got the diagnosis. Um, but he was a chiropractor who also did weird stuff. He did what I now know to be a little bit of Bowen and a little bit of um, kinesiology um, and some energy work that I actually have no idea exactly what it was called or what it did. Um, he also did, you know, traditional chiropractic. But it was just having myself exposed tiny bit by tiny bit to, I'm going to use a bit of a phrase here, the next level of woo-woo that actually got me out of my head and more and more and more into my gut and, and a bit of a balance there. Fantastic. And there, and I love your use of the word woo-woo. And we have woo-woo conversations fairly often, listeners, um, because there is a whole world of woo-woo that can answer questions for people where mainstream medicine doesn't have those answers and I know that you all know that I'm a holistic dentist so I, I sit in both camps so to speak. Coming back to the diagnosis, how did the family respond? How did the dynamic within the family change and what, how did you, I won't say resign yourself, but how did you make peace with that diagnosis? Because once it's there, it's there. It's, this is not something that you can make go away. Yes. Um, I, there are particular elements of that time frame that I can't fully remember. For example, I can't remember whether or not I told my mum before I was going for the test that I was going or whether I waited until after I had the result. Um, I really can't quite recall how some of those pieces were put in place, but I do remember that I was very careful to plan it in such a way that would work for me as well as as best as possible for the other person. Uh, and when I went to get the test result, I took my brother, who is gene negative, so he got tested back in 96 with everybody else and didn't have the gene. And I took one of my really good friends who had been there for me when I was putting myself back together after the marriage breakdown. Um, and I remember being really clear in my own mind about who I wanted there, who I could be with, uh, who I could break down with if necessary, because I don't do public crying very well. Uh, so I was very, um, I don't didn't use this term at the time, but I love the term. I curated it very carefully at that time. Um, I remember when I told my grandmother on my father's side so her family didn't have anything to do with the genetics of it and she was really upset and she didn't do upset very much either I don't remember telling my mum I know I must have um and I know that if she had had a bad reaction I would remember um but I I must have told her uh, I, and I must have done it at such a time and in such a way that we would both be okay with the fact that it was bad news. Um, and I know that I gave myself some time to uh, fall apart a bit. I know that I gave myself some time to um, be okay with whatever. I went book shopping because that was my thing at the time. I spent quite a lot of money on some um, books that I really wanted. I can't remember if I then went and had a drunken night or, you know, favourite food or whatever. I don't quite recall that level of detail. Um, but book shopping seemed to be the uh, appropriate response at the time. Um, so, yeah, I don't quite recall the way all of that played out. Um, but I do remember feeling 
that like it was a bit of a disappointment um, and that my mum in particular would be quite disappointed because I remember how relieved she'd been when my brother had got um, the gene negative result. Um, but, you know, what we've, um, we've played it out since then and, um, you know, it is what it is. Mm, wonderful. And the process of making sure that it doesn't overshadow life. Mm. Yes. And again, this is not something that I have consciously curated. Um, but since the diagnosis, um, I guess about 17 years ago for me, um, looking back on that time, that was one of the things that I have really found that I have done is I really do believe that for something like Huntington's that doesn't shut your life down tomorrow, there's plenty of opportunity to still have a really fun, fulfilling life. And it doesn't need to drive who I am. It doesn't need to drive what I do. I almost never think about it, I've got to be honest. Um, I really am very much in the moment um, and I don't know I, I feel like there is a choice there you know what you know you can choose to be a victim of something like that or you can choose to really live a full life um, and I think that's where something like Huntington's um, creates a pathway if you get an early diagnosis because you can live in fear of it and I know people who have um, or you can say well whatever I'll do what I can but I'm not going to worry about the things I can't do um, and that's been very much my path um, do what I can but don't worry about the things I can't change really and and an approach for mental ease I would have to say, like, what, what is the benefit of worrying about the things that we can have absolutely no influence over? I mean, there's so much going on in the world at the moment that we have absolutely no influence over, but organisations would have us caught up in it thinking that we can impact it and caught up in it thinking that our approach and our general upset is going to make the world a better place or it will give us some sense of power and I think people do have to learn what to tackle and what not to tackle. Yes look I think that's true and one of the things that I've observed um, is some of us are blessed with a reasonably positive mindset to begin with and some of us are, are really um very much caught up in, in quite a fear-based mindset. I don't think that any of us can impose a positive mindset on ourselves if we've got underlying fear. And I think there's been a lot of research done on the the damage actually that can be created if we're constantly being told, you've got to be happy, you've got to be happy, be happy, be grateful. But I do think that a fear-based mindset can be alleviated by and again for me it's been woo-woo approaches to things um, and you know for some people that might be um, anxiety medication but for me it's a lot more been things like um, that weird chiropractor that I was telling you about earlier um, uh, things called um, uh, timeline therapy that go with NLP um, holographic kinetics which is probably something that very few of your listeners have come across and all of these things are designed to take the underlying unconscious drivers that are there and relieve them a bit um, and for me that's been very much compounding my general positive um, viewpoint anyway um, there has been a whole lot of things that I have done that have helped just pull at the threads of all of that underlying fear-based stuff. Um, yeah, to help sort of alleviate um, the, the mental stress of, of a diagnosis like this one and, and help that fulfillness, fulfillment, fulfillment <laughs> come through. And did this require you to look at or consider your beliefs about yourself? Did receiving a diagnosis of a, you know, a genetic disorder 
shake the foundation of your beliefs about yourself? Uh, yes, it did, actually. Um, something that, again, none of us articulated it until after the event, but something that really surprised my whole family when we all got our various diagnoses was that the, how do I phrase this in a way that will make sense, the children that seemed most temperamentally similar to the parents with the Huntington's gene ended up being the ones who were gene negative and the ones of us who were more temperamentally alike the parent without the gene ended up being gene positive so where I'm coming from there is I must admit there had been a big part of me that had assumed that because I don't think like my mother that I didn't have that gene um, and my cousin who did get the diagnosis, you know, because he wasn't actually very much like his dad in the way he thought and, and behaved in the world, I guess we were all a little surprised that he actually ended up being diagnosed. Um, so it actually did shape my beliefs about myself. You know, I think I had considered myself someone who was fundamentally healthy enough Um not that similar to my mother's side of the family, way more similar to my dad's side of the family. And, yeah, it actually was really quite a shock to have that presented in the diagnosis. Fascinating. So how, what did you do to, because we don't do well when our beliefs get shaken <laughs> around, you know, like there's a bit of a, whoa, we go yeah. off kilter. How do you recall what it is that you did? Is that where you went to the woo-woo? Actually, yes, it is. It's yeah. exactly where I went to the woo-woo. So this chiropractor that had been helping me with migraines anyway, um, when I got the diagnosis and I told him about it, he said, oh, yes, that would explain why I've constantly felt like I'm having to renew or reinvigorate your central nervous system the whole time. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So he had picked up on something um, and he just then helped me keep on working with it and working with it and working with it up until the point that he retired. Um, so, yes, that's where I started to look at the woo-woo um, and got more and more drawn to different ways of looking at myself. I think one of the things that even now still makes me laugh about myself is that I, my unconscious does very different things from what my conscious brain does. I say that I am out of my head, but mm, there are still some ways in which I'm very much in my own head. Um, and a, a, an example that I will publicly share here is my relationship with Tony Robbins, the big um, self-help guru. When I'm listening to Tony Robbins, my conscious brain is going, ah, and has all of these stories about, you know, he's over the top and, you know, too full on and blah, blah. But my unconscious brain rewires itself. And it's the same if I'm reading his books, you know, I'll have all of these stories about him. But then my unconscious brain is rewiring itself and, and creating new neural pathways so I have noticed that there are definitely things that I would say I think feel do and believe that my unconscious brain is going yeah nah <laughs> no you don't um and that's actually kind of funny sometimes completely completely and brilliant that you can recognize it because there are times I think I think that runs for an awful lot of people and they're just not aware that that's going on and it can be a great strength to enable your unconscious mind to do good deeds for you. Um, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, again, I, I'm not quite sure how linking the unconscious mind to the gut reaction really works um, from a physiological point of view, but certainly for me, um, when I just know something is right, um, I just know it and my unconscious mind and my conscious brain and my entire body are just in sync about it. Um, but if I am trying to force something, like if I'm trying to manifest, I need $10,000 right now and I'm trying to manifest and manifest and manifest and it just doesn't work and 
later on, I will look back and say, oh, well, what I was trying to manifest so hard wasn't quite right for me at that time, or it has come to me, but in very different ways from what I was expecting at the time. So yes, um, I think that for me, there will be a permanent um, exploration of that unconscious and um, how it's working for me. I see that as being a, a real ongoing period of, no, period's the wrong word, ongoing element of growth throughout my entire life. And, and I think that's that's fabulous. And I would encourage people to consider that within their life. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times that um, you were able to see and find things that you needed. As we've heard before on many of the podcasts, people came along when we needed that information. You know, the teacher arrives when the student is ready. However, if the student has the blinkers on, and if the student thinks there is only one pathway through this, through which this process can happen, then our capacity to see, hear, feel, um, using all of our senses to know what is around and what is available to us is very much shut down. And the universe doesn't talk to us just through the process of words, either on a podcast or in a book or on a computer site. But there are many ways in which information comes to us However, we have to be ready to receive and open to the idea because a lot of it comes in, I believe, through the subconscious processing and then filters, bubbles its way to the surface for us to have a conscious thought about it. Yes, exactly. And I think so much of it is about being open to it and that's something that I have trained myself to do and I'm continually I think that's an ongoing process of knowing yourself um, an example that I would throw in there that has come to mind um, not long after I first started going out with Tim who is the guy that I'm now married to um, he and I were at our favourite um, cafe on a Saturday morning and in the paper was an article about my cousins in relation to Huntington's and it was sitting there on the table and I'm like, oh, wow, that's my cousin. And that was a perfect segue into saying to Tim, oh, by the way, this thing is going on in my family. I probably should talk to you about it. Um, I really think that... Whether we call it, you know, quantum mechanics or the universe providing or divine intervention or, you know, God or whatever else, that there is stuff out there that puts things in front of us when we need them. And sometimes it's easy to miss it if, as you said before, Charlotte, we've got the blinkers on too much Um or we've got too much of a fixed view in our conscious minds about what something should look like. Um, I think for me, it's very important to be flexible in where I look and what I look for and what I'm open to noticing. I think there's an awful lot of shoulding that goes on for people. Um, and I think that just using the current situation, there's a lot of shoulding about how the world should be, how my life within this world should be, how, how I should have, should have been looked after, how I should have, should have, should have, should have, should have, you know. And it's a great way to create pain, to create angst, to create shutdown and bring more um, sadness and um, introspection that isn't sometimes uh, beneficial, that disempowers, I think, I guess, is, is where I'm going with that. On the subject of... Talking with Tim, so knowing that you were gene positive, there had to be that, that thought about, okay, I want to have children. That's a really tough call. How, how did the two of you approach that? Mm. Um, something that I found out after my first husband and I had well and truly split up, he said something to me about his intention had always been if I ended up being gene positive, that if we got pregnant, we'd get a genetic test and abort any fetus that was gene positive. Uh, in his words, um, because he didn't want a child with a time bomb ticking in them. 
And that thought actually horrified me. And that was actually probably in the back of my mind when I knew that I needed to have these conversations with Tim because I needed to know, you know, if he was going to have a fixed view like that, then he probably wasn't the right person for me. Um, in my mind, that is a, an available and a valid option for people if that works for them, but I knew it wasn't right for me. In my mind, if that had been something my mum would have had available to her, she might have aborted me and I'm not sad that I was born. So, um, yeah, that was a part of the conversation that I really needed to have with Tim. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking to my cousin who did end up um, going down an IVF path. So uh, 10 or 12 years ago, and I don't know if the science has evolved since then, um, what was possible at the time was having IVF but only implanting embryos that were gene-negative. Um, um, so that was something that Tim and I really talked about. We went to an information night about it and we really had had a lot of conversations about it. But neither of us had a fixed view that that's the way it should be. Um, and in the end, for reasons that I can't necessarily explain, both of us said, well, why don't we just see what comes naturally and... If we need medical intervention, then we will explore, um, you know, this, this genetic um, pathway. Um, but let's just try naturally first. And within five months, I was pregnant, you know, had child number one. Um, and then child number two, we didn't even talk about the concept of, um, you know, getting genetic testing or anything done. Um, in hindsight, I would say that part of what influenced my decision at the time was that it was possible to have an embryo that was free from Huntington's but still had, you know, Down syndrome or, or you know, whatever other, you don't, you don't get babies with clean genes just by going through this process. Um, and so that was one of the things that I sort of thought about at the time. You know, this doesn't mean we're going to have a perfect genetic child. It just means that they happen not to have Huntington's. So the honest reality is that I have no idea what I may or may not have passed on to either of my children. But again, for reasons I can't fully articulate, Tim and I are actually both completely okay with that. Um, we've never received any pressure from my mum, who uh, would have been very supportive if we'd gone down that pathway, but didn't put any pressure on us for doing things differently. Um, my cousin's family have made their choice and we completely respect that and they completely respect that we did things differently. Um, so it's not something that I could necessarily explain. There were a whole lot of logical reasons why we did it the way we did. But, again, it just sort of felt right for us. Yeah. And thank you for that wonderful point because everybody get so fixated sometimes on the elephant in the room and they're like, oh, my God, what do I do about this? But the reality is none of us are going to um, be able to create a child that is, yeah, a clean gene child. Um, and people get, they forget that. It is, you know, you are pulling the trigger on Russian roulette really here when you decide to have children. And, yeah, for not, for not wanting to engineer, um, congratulations. Yeah, believing that what arrives will be your child that you will unconditionally love and be there with your experience to pass on to them. Thank you. Brilliant. Um, at this point, tell me a little bit, because I know you mentioned the words and I'd love to go back to it, the holographic kinetics. Take us on that woo-woo journey, please. <laughs> Okay, of all of the, the gradual things that I've done to help with my mindset, my physical and emotional health, the most woo-woo is this holographic kinetics. Um, it has been pioneered by an Australian guy based on his research into some Indigenous Aboriginal Australian um, modalities of healing. Very much works on energies. Um, 
And it was one of those things that a friend of mine who I really trust had mentioned it to me multiple times as something that she had been doing a lot of. And again, at some point, it just felt right. Um, Now, holographic kinetics is actually not dissimilar to um, um, kinesiology um, with muscle testing and whatever. But the way the practitioner focuses on the muscle testing is to get in touch with, in their language, with spirit that's considered to reside in all of us. So we're all considered uh, divine creatures who have, um, you know, spirit inside of us. Uh, And the practitioner gets in touch with spirit and figures out um, with whatever you're presenting with, you know, what's going on on unconscious levels. So it includes things like, um, you know, what are you bringing from past life experiences into this current dimension? Um, Told you it was woo-woo. It gets better uh it includes things like do you have any and again using their language entities that are coming with you in this lifetime that are affecting you uh and entities they've got a whole lot of different forms of the entity but basically it's kind of like a demon if you like that sort of um comes along and sits with us um and then they clear it and they clear it and they clear it and they clear it. Um, it's completely non-invasive, you know, so they're not poking around or anything like that. Um, but as a, but it can be quite confronting because you're experiencing all of these lifetimes ago of these weird and wonderful things that you're um, bringing with you into this life. Um, so when it comes to woo-woo, um, It is probably the most unusual thing that I've done. Um, Although I did hear them talking about um, they're starting to get some scientific validity for it. They've been doing some tests on a a deeply autistic boy that they've put through um, multiple rounds of um, holographic kinetics and they're actually documenting the results. So it may or may not end up with a little bit more currency. Um, But, yes, that is the most... um, out there thing that I have done to date mm-hmm. but hey I'm only 47 there could still be more come up <laughs> much more to come up and what sense did you get from that what how did it impact you what I noticed about it and again this was such a clear picture for me of the difference between my conscious experience of the world and my unconscious beliefs was that a lot of the things that I thought were driving me were different from what they were picking up was going on at this unconscious or spiritual sort of level. Um, And there were things coming up that I could not in a million years have told you, um, could have anticipated would have been what were holding me back. So originally I went in for um, assistance with migraines, but the Huntington's came up really, really quickly uh, and ended up needing to be cleared. Um, Well, from the practitioner's point of view, spirit through me was telling her to clear all of this. But I was getting insights into my grandfather, so the grandfather of mine with the Huntington's gene originally that I would never, ever, ever have anticipated I would have thought about him or understood about him. I didn't know him very well. He died when I was really young. Um, And all of these things that were coming up, a couple of things through my father's line of the family as well that um, were impacting on the way I thought, felt, behaved in the world. Um, So it's really quite weird um but cool I loved it um I found it really I've forgotten your original question I've gone down this path what benefits you got from it I suppose yeah Yeah. okay absolutely so the benefit for me was um yes in having these thoughts or feelings from the past that were now clear and I was free from and that was fabulous Now, exactly how it's affected me physically for something like Huntington's, I can't tell you yet. You know, I'll tell you when I'm 96 whether or not I'm suffering from it badly. Um, 
but certainly what could be cleared now has been cleared. Wonderful, incredible information. I don't know a holographic kinetics practitioner. How did you find them? Um, the friend of mine who had been talking about them, um, the guy who pioneered it, Steve Richards, his name is, is on the Gold Coast. Uh, and when I looked up a list of their practitioners, there was a very good woman. Um, I'm further up slightly north of Brisbane um, and she happens to practice like 20 minutes from my house so again it was like the universe went yep you can choose her yeah, um, so yes there is a list on on a website somewhere if you type it in yeah. of um, people not just in Australia but around the world too wonderful a, a brilliant journey for some people to undertake if they feel that there are not only demons but spirits who need to communicate need to yeah talk to whom we are and I, to me this all comes back to the miracle of the fact that we're actually born that we come into being that the version of us that plays out on the planet and has a role to play really is a divine creature yes and I'm actually going to link this now that we've gone down this path into my beliefs about my children as well, because I believe that as spirits, they come to us knowing exactly on a, on a cosmic level who they're getting involved with. And if their path is to come to me in my current state with this Huntington's diagnosis or not, um, then that's what they have actually chosen. Um, now, they don't consciously choose it from a human point of view, but on a cosmic spirit sort of level, that's very much what I believe. Um, and that, I think, has helped me make peace with any residual guilt I might have been feeling about not having cleaned their genes first. <laughs> no washing done there. <laughs> um, and that opens up a whole new and wonderful conversation, which we possibly won't go into at this point. Um, because I think that's an incredible conversation to have and we could probably go for about two hours on that one as Joe and I often do. Um, what advice would you give to any of the listeners who have had a similar diagnosis or have family members in the Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, Huntingdon's, any of those neurodebilitative um, disorders, what advice would you give to them if they have fear about the future or understanding whether this is going to play out for them? I think the sum total of everything we've said today, um, be yourself and do what's right for you. Um, for some people, they benefit a lot from research and that's not me, but I would invite I guess people in that headspace to only research if you feel empowered by it so if you're feeding the fear by doing research I would actually recommend doing something slightly different um, I would recommend being open to things that are different um, but don't feel like you don't have to go straight to holographic kinetics, do you know what I mean? It, it, you can take your time to feel things out, um, you know, sort of step by step. Um, empower yourself by surrounding yourself with the right people in your lives. So the people who give you the type of support that works for you. Um, it might sound in some ways selfish, but that's actually kind of what I'm inviting you to do is to really focus on what is right for you. And that might change to be open to it evolving and changing because that's very much been my life experience um, is that the, the thing that felt like it was the right thing at the time um, has, it isn't necessarily the only thing that will show up. So yes, um, work with what works for you um, and focus on what you can find out there that empowers you and makes you feel a bit more positive and supported. Brilliant. That's absolutely wonderful advice. And whether that's for genetic disorders or just um, health conditions in general, I think you've touched on some really critical points. There is no, no benefit from disempowering and frightening yourself. 
um, find information that helps you feel stronger and find those people in your life that help you feel stronger and are willing to go on the journey with you and support you along the way. Very, very important. None of us do this on our own. It's, it doesn't work. Joe, thank you so much for today. Really appreciate this. Um, there's been some brilliant advice there and some wonderful insights. Um, on the sphere of, or in the sphere of business coaching, Joe does actually um, run at the moment. If you wish to hear more about her, she has a leadership program that is currently available online through a platform called mastermind.com. Um, and it's a leadership course, um, which includes a free follow-up coaching call directed at small business. It's called, oh, excuse me, Five Secrets to Leadership in Small Business. And uh, she's running that through her company, Entrust Business Consulting. So if you would like to hear more from Joe for your business, not on the field of, not in the field of Huntington's particularly, but just because you love her systematic, clear thinking and long-range strategies, which you're absolutely the best at. Thank you, dear. Um, please do look her up under mastermind.com. Is there anything else people should know about you, Jo? Um, I think you have summarised everything. I've, I've been thinking a bit actually about what I want to do with this information that we've just spoken about today. Um, so at the moment, I'm going to say it feels like something I want to explore further and make more publicly available, um, but uh, it's a bit of a work in progress. So watch this space. I will um, find ways to let you know. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you for being willing to um, go on this journey again with me today and for sharing your insights and your experiences in this field. Thank you so much for having me, Charlotte. I think you're awesome. <laughs> we'll have a love fest here. Why not? <laughs> thank you, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We look forward to seeing you again on Mindset for Health, Tales of Extraordinary People. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. If this is a message that resonates with you, make sure that you check out the link in the description and subscribe to get more insight on Mindset for Health, Tales of Extraordinary People.